They're practicing next door. Okay, uh, let's look at Genesis chapter 13. These guys are great, really amazing. Okay, Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. So uh, the interesting thing to note is that Lot, you know, Lot has been with Abram all the while when he went out to Egypt. And now as he comes back from Egypt, back to the promised land, he brings Sarah, his wife, but he also brings Lot back with him. So it sounds like Lot has been with him all throughout this journey. Verse two, now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. So very, very wealthy. And he journeyed on from Nineveh as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place that he had made an altar at the, at the first. Um, so it's very specific. You know, he comes back to the promised land, but he comes back to this specific location where he had met God in the beginning. This was Genesis chapter 12. And then he also built this altar. And when he comes back to this altar, uh, it says there, verse four, there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. He worshiped God. So um, you pull it together. What it looks like is Abram coming back to God in kind of repentance. You know, he left the place that God had called him to. He left God's protection, as it were. And this is him coming back to God in repentance, coming back in worship, giving his life back to God in a kind of a rededication. Yeah. Uh, verse 5. Da -da 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 -da. Very good. Uh, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. So Abram, his uncle, very rich. Uh, Lot also did very well for himself, had uh, flocks, herds, and tents, but not, not gold. So Abram is still number one, but Lot did okay for himself in Egypt. Uh, verse six, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. <laughs> so having all these riches, all these animals, especially the flocks and herds, became a problem because the land could not feed all these animals. Uh, verse six, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Verse seven, and there was strife, you know, arguments between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So Abram and Lot, you know, they're still okay with one another, but they're matai, the people who are looking after all their respective um, cows and sheep, you know, they were getting into arguments over like um, the patch of grass or the wells, that kind of thing. There wasn't enough to go around for both men to share the same space in the promised land. So also verse seven, at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So just adding on top of this, it was crowded. There were these Canaanites also living in the neighborhood. So too much money, uh, too many players, not enough space for uncle and nephew to stay together as family. Uh, verse eight, then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife, no argument between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are, it says your kinsmen, but literally we are brothers, you know, we are family. Is not the whole land before you? No, we have, we have lots of space. 
separate yourself from me. And this is the part that's really, really sad. They want to stay together, but in order to stay together, they have to move apart. And I guess it's moving apart in order to preserve that relationship. It's moving apart because these are factors beyond their control. You know, they want to stay together, but their people are fighting with one another. And even though it's out of their control, even though I think they have this respect between uncle and nephew, almost like father and son, you know, they've grown close. Um, it's still sad because it's a reality of life. You know, having too much money can be a big problem. You know, it, it causes um, problems and makes it unsustainable for them to live in the same location. So he suggests that it's a big land and suggests for them to separate from one another. And he says, uh, uh, verse 9, if you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Essentially saying, you choose. You know, you choose this side, I'll choose the other one. Essentially, you choose what you think is best. You have first choice. Nah, give you. You know, since you're my nephew, I'm going to let you choose the best one for yourself. And that's kind of what Lot does, verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. So what he sees is opportunity. He sees something that's well watered. That means there's lots of vegetation. And in his mind, he compares it to the garden of God. He compares it to Egypt, where he had just come from. That means it's, it's places of plentiful, places of blessing. And I guess it makes sense, according to his eyes, that this is the right choice. But the question is, uh -huh, is it the right choice? Um, because it adds there, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So hint, hint, from God's perspective, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not the best choice, even though it looks so good to his eyes. Um, verse 11, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. And what we have here is a guy essentially making his choices based on his appetite. You know, you, you know sometimes people say, don't go shopping when you're hungry. Um, or, uh, and here is him making a choice based on his appetite. What he sees is good, is luscious, but also giving into that original temptation that Adam went through. That's why that's a comparison with the garden of the Lord. And if you remember Adam, or rather Eve, you know, she saw the fruit. It was good to her eyes and appearance, good for eating. And that's what Lot saw. It was good. It was pleasing. And so he just took what he saw was good for himself. And so that's Adam, but also he compares it with Abram. You know, the land looked like the land of Egypt. So here is kind of like a rite of passage that Adam went through, that Abram went through, and both, well, to be fair, kind of failed. You know, Abram failed because he left the promised land. Adam failed because he took off the fruit. Um, but here, Lot too fails. And so we see this temptation and this fall that accompanies every single person that has been on this journey together with God, that somehow, you know, we're led by our senses. We are led by our appetites.
And so on one hand, that's understandable, but on the other, it's kind of sad. Again and again, we see people fail because they lose sight of what is more important. They lose sight of God. Uh, verse 12, uh, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And so it's just reinforcing that bad things are going to happen. <laughs> the place that he, he chose, again, it looked really, really good on the outside. The packaging was great. But the people in these cities were people who were not of good character, they were wicked. People who did not have a relationship, they sinned against the Lord. And so it's uh, the failure to look deeper. It's uh, the failure uh, that comes from just being led by our appetites, by our eyes alone. But again, it's understandable. You know, it's what we all do. We are, I think we are no better than a lot. I think again, you know, choosing where you're gonna eat based on uh, what you feel like, you know, sometimes leads to choices that aren't very good for you. And we all know that by experience. Uh, verse 14, uh, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. So every direction, God says, look in every direction. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring Forever. So it's interesting. God tells Abram to look. And somehow this is meant to be an affirmation of God's blessing upon him. You know, everywhere you look, hey, I'm going to give you everything that you can see. And not just for you, but also for the generations after you, your offspring forever. Verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that uh, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. So again, very interesting that, you know, just after Abram has given this choice, you know, generously given this opportunity to his um, nephew, God responds with an even greater blessing towards Abram, almost to acknowledge that what Abram did was maybe the right, generous, gracious thing to do, you know, giving away this, um, this, this, well, he didn't give his wealth, but he gave away this opportunity for more wealth. And I, show, I think it shows that Abram was not someone who was insecure. You know, he didn't need to have more and that actually um, he knew that what God was promising him was enough. And actually it was more than enough. What God promised him in the end was everything, this whole land. And it says more, you know, arise and walk through, verse 17, the length and the breadth of the land. Did I read this already? It says arise and walk through the length. It means actually get up, get up and walk around everywhere as if to, to say that, you know, what you can feel and you can almost see and tangibly, you know, realize that this promise I'm giving to you is a real thing. It says like, the length and the breadth of the land, I will give it to you. A reassurance again to Abram. So why does God do this? Um, I think God recognizes something has changed um, in Abram. You know, you know, here is Abram giving away, giving away um, the best of what he has to his nephew. And he realizes that it's because Abram loves Lot. 
you know. And and so God realizes that what God is giving to Abram is something that Abram wants to pass on to the generations after him. He's holding it with a loose hand because he realizes realizes in the end it's meant to be for his kids. And um, I was just. You know, I, I came to church early this morning, uh, which you think would, it's not a big thing, but actually it's a big thing for me because I've, um, uh, uh, well, if I'm honest, you know, I, I'm not very used to coming to big churches or with uh, lots of music and lots of singing, uh, but it was very, very uh, encouraging this morning to come with a friend. And right after that, I was talking to a friend, you know, what do you think about this church? And he was saying what he really appreciated were the kids in the service, and he was seeing the church in terms of their perspective, you know, how welcome did they feel? How much were they made a part of the church service? And I thought that was, that was such a helpful perspective from a father. There was something that was very gracious, very generous to think not just of how can I benefit from this church service, but actually how can my kids, how can people who really need to know about God really, really benefit from the environment, from the people, from the teaching that this church is offering, not just to me, but to them. And I think uh, that's what God sees in Abram. I think God recognizes that Abram has come to the point where he realizes it's not just about him, but it's for the people after him, for his children. And so God wants to give him all the more this assurance and this kind of like tangibility of the promises that he's giving to Abram because it's not just for him. It's not just about him, but it's meant to be passed on and it's meant to be blessing others after him. Verse 18, so Abram moved his tent, came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. And so it ends with thanksgiving. It ends with him worshiping God who has given him all these promises, given him all these assurances that it will happen. It is true. And I think he's giving thanks, therefore, not just for himself, but on behalf of all those who will be blessed through him, his family, his children, his offspring. And I think there's a kind of generosity and spirit that comes from acknowledging that what God gives us, even in the greatest blessing, is not just for us to hold on for ourselves. I think the moment we realize that everything we have is by grace and everything we have is to be shared generously to others, I think that's when we realize that there is no limit to how much God wants to give us in Christ and there is no limit to how much God can bless others through us in Christ as well. Um, yeah, yeah, very tempted to stay for the second service, but no, anyway, just encouraging already listening to the practice that's happening right now. Really encourage us all that they are spending so much time just practicing for that bit of worship that will happen this evening. But yeah, thank you for joining me. Hope this was encouraging, looking again at Abram and his generosity of spirit in um, receiving God's promises and sharing it with those whom he loves.